0: A FOCUS SUMMARY OF CHAPTERS 41-43 through 43 OF PRIDE AND PREJUDICE In the last week of the regiment's stay in Meryton, the misery of Kitty and Lydia is extreme. They cannot comprehend how their elder sisters can be so hard-hearted as to eat, drink, sleep, and amuse themselves as usual. Lamentations that Mr. Bennet will not allow them to go to Brighton continually resound through Longbourn House. Elizabeth tries to be diverted by them, but recalling the words of Mr. Darcy, her pleasure is lost in shame. To Kitty's dismay, Lydia, and not she, is asked by Mrs. Forster, wife of a colonel in the regiment, to accompany them to Brighton. Elizabeth considers this invitation the death warrant of all possible common sense in Lydia, and she decides to secretly advise her father not to let her go. She implores him to check her exuberant spirits before her character is fixed for life, and she becomes the object of universal contempt. Mr. Bennet hears out her objections, and then dismisses them with sarcastic humor. He says there will be no peace at Longbourn if he does not let Lydia go, and he hopes that in Brighton, where there will be women better worth the officer's notice, she may learn a lesson about her own insignificance. Elizabeth leaves him disappointed— but feeling she had performed her duty, and unwilling to fret over unavoidable evils, she lets the matter lie. Had Lydia or her mother known the reason for the conference, their indignation would have been voluble. For Lydia, a visit to Brighton, with its gay streets covered in officers, comprises every possibility of earthly happiness. Since her return, Elizabeth has often found herself in company with Mr. Wickham. In the very gentleness that used to delight her, she begins to detect an affectation and sameness that disgusts her. And when he tries to renew the intentions that marked the early part of their acquaintance, she is appalled to think he believes her preference could be so easily secured. On the last day of the regiment's stay, he dines with the other officers at Longbourn. Little disposed to part with him in good humor— Elizabeth asks whether he was acquainted with Colonel Fitzwilliam, whom she met in company with Mr. Darcy at Rosings. He looks at her with surprise, displeasure, and alarm, but collecting himself, replies that he was a very gentlemanlike man, and asks whether she liked him. She tells him that she did, and adds later that Mr. Darcy, too, improves upon acquaintance. At this, Wickham's alarm is heightened. Shaking off his embarrassment, He tries to suggest that Darcy was on his best behavior, because he stands in awe of the good opinion of his aunt, and because he wishes to forward the match with Miss de Bourgh. At this, Elizabeth cannot suppress a smile. They part with mutual civility, and a mutual desire never to see each other again. When Lydia sets off to Brighton, Kitty sheds tears of envy, Mrs. Bennet urges her to enjoy herself as much as possible, and Jane and Elizabeth's quiet adieus can hardly be heard over Lydia's clamorous happiness. Had Elizabeth drawn her ideas of marriage from her own family, she could not have formed a very pleasing opinion of it. Her father, captivated by youth and beauty, had married a woman whose weak understanding and illiberal mind had put an end to all real affection for her. Thereafter, he could only find amusement in her folly and console himself with his love of the country and books. Elizabeth had always observed with pain the impropriety of her father's behavior as a husband, but she tried to forget what she could not overlook. This becomes more difficult as she begins to see the evils of directing his talents at his own entertainment rather than the preservation of his daughter's respectability." Though Elizabeth had been looking forward with impatience for the departure of Wickham, the loss of the regiment is otherwise unsatisfying. Their parties are less varied, Kitty is in a perpetual gloom, and Lydia has chased the officers to a place where she is likely to be hardened in all her foolishness. Needing, therefore, to name some other period for the commencement of her happiness, Elizabeth turns her thoughts to her approaching tour of the lakes. She is disappointed that Jane will not join them, but that imperfection in her plans serves as protection against too great a disappointment. Lydia had promised to write often, but her letters are long in coming and short in length. Those to her mother contain trivialities, and those to Kitty contain content not to be made public. The return of the summer and its finery and enjoyments brings a return of cheerfulness to Longbourn. The time is fixed for the northern tour, but since Business Matters for Mr. Gardiner cut their trip short, they decide to give up the lakes and travel no farther than Derbyshire. Elizabeth is disappointed, but given her happy temper, all is soon right again. She has some apprehensions about traveling to the region of Pemberley, but she feels confident she can enter Darcy's country with impunity and without his perceiving her. Finally, Elizabeth and the gardener set off in search of amusement, and the one pleasure she is assured is that of suitable companionship. Their travels bring them to Mrs. Gardner's former home of Lambton. Just five miles away is Pemberley, and Mr. Gardner expresses a desire to see the place again. Elizabeth, feeling she has no business there, professes she is tired of great houses and takes no pleasure in them. Mr. Gardner insists it is worth going for the delightful grounds. Elizabeth resolves to acquiesce if she can be assured that the family is absent. So, when she learns from a chambermaid that they are away for the summer, she agrees to go. When Elizabeth arrives with the gardeners at Darcy's estate, and they all admire its remarkable grounds and stately stone building, she cannot help but feel that to be Mistress of Pemberley might be something. As they approach the door, she dreads lest the chambermaid had been mistaken. They are led by the housekeeper on a tour of the home, and Elizabeth finds it to have less grandiose splendor and more real elegance than rosings. She again considers that she might have called these rooms her own, and welcomed her aunt and uncle as guests, until she recalls that they would have been lost to her, and she never would have been able to invite them at all. This recollection saves her from regret." When the housekeeper says that her master is expected on the morrow, Elizabeth rejoices that her own journey had not been delayed a day. As they look at portraits hung around the rooms, the housekeeper gives an account of their subjects. One miniature hung above the mantelpiece is of Mr. Wickham, and she says regretfully of him that he has turned out very wild. Another is of Miss Darcy— and she declares her to be the handsomest young lady that ever was, highly accomplished, and dearly beloved by her elder brother. And then they come to an image of Mr. Darcy himself. She says glowingly of him that she has never known a man so handsome, that he was the sweetest-tempered, most generous-hearted boy, that he is the best landlord and the kindest master, that she could go through all the world and never find a better, and that she knows no one good enough to be his wife. Elizabeth wonders that she could be speaking of the same man. Elizabeth is arrested by another portrait of Darcy, and stands several minutes before it in earnest contemplation, feeling that the smile on his face is the same one she sometimes saw when he looked at her. The housekeeper's commendation has caused Elizabeth to look at Darcy in a new light— and as she stands gazing at his image, she recalls his expression as having more warmth and less impropriety than she had previously allowed. When they are done with their tour and walk outside toward the river, the owner of the house himself suddenly comes forward from the road. Elizabeth's eyes meet his, and both their cheeks are overspread with the deepest blush. He approaches her and addresses her, if not with composure, then at least with civility— and she receives his compliments with an embarrassment impossible to overcome. The few minutes they speak are some of the most uncomfortable in her life. After every idea of conversation fails him, Darcy stands silent for a few moments, and then, recalling himself, takes his leave. Elizabeth is overcome with shame and vexation, thinking how disgraceful her appearance there must seem to so vain a man she finds herself unable to account for the alteration in his behavior. Not only did he deign to speak to her, but he did so in a civil and gentle manner. Walking the grounds with her aunt and uncle, Elizabeth can decipher no part of the scene. All her thoughts are directed toward Darcy. She wonders what he is thinking, and whether, in defiance of everything, she is still dear to him." All at once, Mr. Darcy appears again and approaches. Endeavoring to return his civility, she admires the beauty of Pemberley, but when she realizes how this praise might be misconstrued, her color changes and she speaks no more. When she grants his request to be introduced to her friends, Elizabeth watches Darcy carefully, knowing that these were the very relations whom his pride had revolted. When he enters into conversation with them, she is consoled at having some relatives for whom there is no need to blush. And when he invites Mr. Gardner to fish there while he is in the neighborhood, she cannot help but wonder whether the softening of his manners suggests that he still loves her. When Mrs. Gardner tells Darcy that the housekeeper had said he was not expected till the following day, he confirms that business had occasioned that he come a few hours before the rest of the party which includes both Mr. Bingley and Georgiana. Elizabeth is greatly surprised when he asks the honor of introducing his sister to her acquaintance. Elizabeth is gratified to know Darcy's resentment had not made him really think ill of her. Mr. Darcy presses them to come inside for refreshments, but the offer is declined, and they part with politeness. As they drive away, her aunt observes that though he was perhaps not so handsome as Wickham, she could find nothing about him that was unbecoming or disagreeable. Elizabeth confesses that she had never seen him so pleasant. She feels compelled to correct their understanding of his behavior toward Wickham. So, in as guarded a manner as she can, she relates the particulars of the pecuniary transactions in which they had been connected. Arriving at Lambton, Mrs. Gardiner goes off in search of her former acquaintances. But Elizabeth can do nothing but think about Mr. Darcy's civility and his wish to acquaint her with his sister.